Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Another evening of fellowship and reading the scriptures, and it's going to be awesome. Tonight, I'm going to get into several of the Psalms, Psalm 134, 146 through 150. Also, 1 Kings chapter 9 and 2 Chronicles chapter 8, uh, doing some comparison in there as well. So, Another great night of getting a little bit more of the scriptures into us and having a having another meal, right? Having another meal of the scriptures tonight. Amen. First Kings chapter nine. I'm going to start there. Now, if you notice, there is a whole there's a couple sections, actually, um, before we get to the part where uh, it actually um, lines up with second second Chronicles chapter eight. So we have all this extra information here in First Chronicles chapter 9. So I'm going to read those first few uh, parts. And then when it gets to Solomon's additional gifts, we will compare um, that with Second Chronicles chapter 8. It's not very, not very long, is it? Second Chronicles chapter 8 is pretty short, actually. So let's do it. First um, Kings chapter 9, verse 1, uh, subtitles... Uh, God's second appearance to Solomon. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. Now I'm going to stop here for a second. Um, notice this is, this is, it's like a pattern that happens, isn't it? It's like after, after something is done, then God appears it's like with Moses. Well, we know that God appeared to Moses first, but say after he completed the tabernacle, then the glory of God fell. And, you know, God appeared in that way. Uh, when Solomon also dedicated the temple first time, same thing. After after the, all that work was finished, then he appeared uh, in the cloud of glory. And here again, like it, it just uh, to confirm, re reiterate uh, that... Uh, when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So it's kind of a pattern here, isn't it? Where it's like um, whenever there's a work that's finished, God appears. It's interesting. Verse 3, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good sign. Um Remember, it says in 1 John, if God hears our prayers, that means that we have that which we desired. In other words, when God hears our prayers, that means that God granted our prayers. He accepts our prayers. So if there's anybody that has a problem with the prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, I would highly recommend you go to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 3, and notice this very important point here, and that is that God heard his prayer, which means a lot. It's not like he was just praying. God heard it. So I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually, perpetually. Now, if you walk before me, there's the condition, if you walk before me, as your father David walked, in the integrity and in uprightness, 
to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons, or your sons, that's an additional stipulation there, or your sons at all turn from following me. Now that, that's, isn't that, that's an amazing responsibility. It's like, it's like Solomon, you're responsible for yourself and your sons. Wow. But if you or your sons turn at all from following me and do not keep my commandments and statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. You know, I can't help as I'm reading this, think about the condition of the house that he built, um, the condition of it today. And what happened in 70 AD and what happened to, to, the, to the people of Israel. Um, yeah, um, what can I say? I mean, kind of sad in a way. And in another way, uh, you know, we know that God never will not, will never forget, forget Israel or, uh, or forsake them. So uh, we know that God has a mighty plan for Israel in the coming days. Verse 8, And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Now this reminds me, um, again, I just got to stop here and kind of comment on this, because this reminds me of one of the... Uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but one of the most prominent street preachers in America today, when he witnesses to the Jewish people, this is what he asks them. It's a sobering thought. Um, yeah. So I can't help but think about that. It's a sobering thought. It's It's a legitimate question, although perhaps... The answer that, you know, the well, I mean, that that, that kind of opens up another whole topic, but it's interesting to see the history of the Temple of Solomon and what has happened there. Verse 9, Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and have worshipped them worshipped them, and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. It's amazing. Um, verse 10, Solomon and Hiram exchanged gifts. Now it happened at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold, as much as he desired. <laughs> Haram must have been a, a very wealthy man himself. 
that King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, What kind of cities are these which you have given me, my my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as, as they are to this day. In the footnotes, Kabul, literally good for nothing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone giving you, can you imagine like receiving 10 cities or you giving someone 10, no, well, there's more than 10 cities. What am I talking about? Um, 20 cities, right? Um, 20 cities, yes. 20 cities. And the response is, ah, they're good for nothing. Kabul. Verse 14. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. So he's still quite gracious to King Solomon uh, after all. Verse 15. Now we're going to be comparing this with 2 Chronicles chapter 8. Um, now 2 Chronicles chapter 8 seems to be quite different in many ways. So it's different, but uh, let me see here. Yeah. First Kings chapter nine, verse 15. And this is the reason for the force, for the labor force, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, or in the footnotes, literally the landfill, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, lower Beth Horon, Baloth uh, and Todmor in the wilderness in the in the uh, in the land of Judah, and or, excuse me, all the storage cities that Solomon had cities for his chariots chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom the, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely, from these Solomon raised forced labor, as it is to this day. But the children of Israel, of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers, because they were men of war, and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders, commanders of his chariots, and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. Now, let's just... Um, 
Okay, so let's read some of Second Chronicles chapter 8. Uh, since it's the same topic, Solomon's additional achievements. Verse 1, And it came to pass at the end of twenty years that Solomon had built the house of the Lord and, and his own house, that the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon, Solomon built them, and he settled the children of Israel there. Now in, in the footnotes, Hiram or Huram, Huram as opposed to Hiram or Hiram, And he settled the children of Israel there. And Solomon went to Hamath, Zobah, and seized it. He also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he built in Hamath. He built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars, also Baalath and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the chariot cities, and all and the cities of the cavalry and all the all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem in Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion all the people who were left of the Hittites Amorites Perizzites Hivites and Jebusites who were not of Israel that is the descendants who were left in the land after them whom the children of Israel did not destroy from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is this day. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of his chariots, and cavalry. And others were chiefs of the officials of King Solomon, 250 who ruled over the people. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house which he built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of King of David, king of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. <laughs> Interesting. Um, now comparing that with with first Kings chapter nine, notice now he's talking about the children of Israel. It says in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, But the children of Israel, Solomon, made no forced labors because they were men of war and his servants. It's a, little, it's a bit different than Second uh, Chronicles chapter 8, verse 9, but Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Now this is in, a foot, in the footnotes, slaves of his work. Um, so it's, it's, it's slightly different. It's different there. All right. Let's do first Kings chapter nine, verse 24. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the millow. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished, so he finished the temple. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 12. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar 
of the Lord, which he built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate, according or offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three appointed yearly feasts. So that's a whole lot more um, information. Right? So according to the daily rate, according to the commandment of Moses, for the Sabbaths, for the new moons, and the three appointed yearly feasts. Now, in 1 Kings, it's, it, it appears that it only talks about the three times a year. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he built for the Lord, and he burned incense with them on the, on the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the temple. So we got more information in 2 Chronicles chapter 8. Uh, so the yearly, the three yearly feasts are the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And according to the order of David, his father, he appointed divisions of the priests for their service, the Levites for their duties, to praise and serve before the priests as the duty of each day required. And the gatekeepers by their divisions at each gate, for so David, the man of God, had commanded. They did not depart from the command of the king to the priests and Levites concerning any matter, matter or concerning the treasuries. Verse 16. This is Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 16. Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord, until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Okay, let's go back here to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 26. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Adam. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 17, now Solomon went to Ezion, Geber, and Eloth on the seacoast in the land of Adam. So different, not necessarily a contradiction, but different there uh, between building a fleet of sheeps, <laughs> sheeps, not sheep, ships, excuse me, building a fleet of ships um, as opposed to just went, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 8, then Solomon just went to Ezion, Geber, and Eloth uh, on the seacoast. So that's different. Um, verse 27 of 1 Kings chapter 9. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who, who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 18. And Hiram sent sent him uh, sent him ships by the hand of his servants and servants who knew the sea. Verse 28 of First Kings chapter 9, And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 18, the last half, 
they went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir and acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So um, we do have we do have a discrepancy here as well. You notice how often this happens, right? It, we see this so often. So in 1 Kings chapter 9, it's 420 talents. In 2 Chronicles chapter 8, it is 450 talents. Interesting. Normally there is normally there is a footnote that lets us know about the difference, but not, not in this instance. Now, just before I get into the Psalms, I just want to check some of the comments here. And if we have, again, if we have anything that I can quickly respond to, I will. Uh, other than that, I will um, wait until after we do the scripture reading. Three mystery, or the mystery, excuse me, over there on TikTok says, what is what does Romans 2.12 mean? Um, if you're still with me, at, after I'm done reading the scriptures, we'll get to that. Brick Train asked a question, did Solomon write Ecclesiastes? Actually, if you listen to the video that we just did, actually, about Ecclesiastes, I, I speak quite extensively about that. Um, it's arguable. Uh, some, some scholars believe that it's more than one author. Some scholars believe that it's multiple authors of Ecclesiastes. And we actually dealt with that in that video. Um, Brother, if you haven't seen that video, there's a couple videos we did on uh, Ecclesiastes. If you haven't seen that video, I highly recommend you go over there and watch it. Okay, now again, we got questions here that are quite involved. So I'm going to wait until afterwards. Some of these questions. Jason asked the question, is this true with the Septuagint as well? Very good question. You see, I... Yeah, so I am I am actually comparing I actually compared both of the exact same uh translation from the exact same manuscripts. Very good question. It's, you know, um it's it's hard to put everything side by side. I will I will pull up Septuagint here uh, and take a look at it. You know, sometimes I wish I could put them all side by side, but if I did that nobody would be able to read anything. So let's uh let's do that. Let's uh, we'll check it out in the Septuagint. So uh, back to the screen here on YouTube, we have 1 Kings chapter 9 on the left, 2 Chronicles chapter 8 on the right. So let's just go to the Septuagint in 2 Chronicles chapter 8. Let's see what number we have here. It's the same, 450 talents of gold. Um, now I'll go to the Septuagint in... First uh, Kings chapter 9, and see what it says here. Actually, I see differences already. You got omitted text, omitted text. Quite a bit of differences here in the Septuagint. So much. So it's the same as the Mesoretic in the, in the sense that it says, oh, no, it's not. Hold on. Very, very different. What am I saying? Same. It's very, very different. Took a 120 talents of gold. Versus 450 talents of gold over here. Very, very different. Okay, you know what? Let's let us let's take a quick peek at the differences between the Septuagint since we're on this right now and we see there's so much of it. 
Let's take a quick peek between the differences of the Septuagint and the Masoretic text. Very interesting. I see a difference here where uh, verse 13, so he said, it's Hiram. Hiram said in the, in the Masoretic, uh, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul as it is this day. Now, Septuagint says, what are these cities which you have given me, brother? And he called them boundary until this day. So in the Masoretic, it is in verse 15. And this is the reason for the, the labor force, which King Solomon raised versus this was the arrangement of the provision, which King Solomon fetched to build the house of the Lord and the house of the king and the wall. Okay, so build the house of the Lord, the house of the king. Now, in the Masoretic says his house. In the Septuagint, it's more specific, the house of the king, the wall as opposed to the milo, or in again, it's the landfill. I'm not sure why the Septuagint would call it the wall. Uh, oh, sorry, the wall of Jerusalem, and it's the wall of Jerusalem here. So the Milo is left right out um, in the Septuagint. Hazor in the NKJV and the citadel to fortify the city of David and Ashur And Magdal, Magdal, I suppose that's slightly similar to Megiddo and Gezer and Beth Horon, so that'd be Beth Horon, but we don't have that here at all. That would be that would have been in Second Chronicles chapter eight. Um, it is quite different in all cities of the chariots. It's so different. It's kind of even hard to follow. follow. Um, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, so we got all this extra information in all this in all the cities of the chariots and all the cities of the horsemen and the fortification of. Solomon, which he purposed to build in Jerusalem and in all the land. Now, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 16, 17, 18, 19 is all omitted from, from the Septuagint. This goes to verse 20. So in the Masoretic, all the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, uh, none of the children of Israel, that is their descendants. Excuse me. All of the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and uh, who were not of the children of Israel, that is their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom... The children of Israel had been able to destroy completely from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is this day. In the Septuagint, it says, so that none of the people should rule over him. 
that was left of the Chetite or the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Evite and the Jebusite. So the Canaanite is added and the Girgashites are added as well in the Septuagint uh, who were not of the children of Israel. Their descendants who had been their descendants who had been left with him in the land, whom the children of Israel would not utterly destroy, or could not under, utterly destroy, and Solomon made them tributaries unto this day. Verse verses twenty or verse twenty one is omitted completely in the Septuagint. So the verse that says that is their descendants whom were left. Uh, Okay, let's talk about them being forced labor. Verse 22, but of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced labors because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Okay, so that's the Masoretic. The Septuagint says, but of the children of Israel, Solomon made nothing for they were warriors and his servants and rulers and captains of the third order and captains of his chariots, and his horsemen. So, quite similar. But verse 23 is completely in, omitted. So the whole verse about others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did, who did the work, that was omitted. Uh, verse 24 of the Septuagint says, Then Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David into his, his house, which he built for himself in those days. Similar. It doesn't say about him building the millow or the landfill over in the Septuagint. Verse 25 is completely omitted in the Septuagint. Talking about Solomon going three times a year to offer the offerings. That's completely omitted. Um, verse 26, King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Alath on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Um, in the Septuagint, even that for the king... Or even that for which King Solomon built a ship? A ship in Gezion Geber near Eloth on the shore of the extremity of the sea in the land of Edom. <laughs> okay, so we go from a fleet to a ship. Um, verse 27 of the Septuagint. And Hiram sent in the ship together with the servants of Solomon's, uh, Solomon, servants of his own, mar mariners to, uh, to row, men acquainted with the sea. Now again, we got the ship as in one ship compared to the Masoretic, which is a, the fleet. Quite a bit of difference. 
And we don't have anything about the Mariners the, to row in the Masoretic. Very, very interesting. Verse 28, uh, Masoretic. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to the king and brought it to King Solomon. Septuagint, and they came to Sophira. Sophira. Uh, I can I can I can understand Ophir and Sophira. I mean, because if you just put an S on the front of Ophir and A at the end, it's pretty much the same. So it's either First Kings dropped the S and the A, or the Septuagint added the S and the A. So the Septuagint said, and they came to Sophira and took thence 120 talents of gold and brought them to King Solomon. Very interesting, isn't that? Very interesting. So much, so much difference. So much difference. Clutch says God made Satan correct. Yes. Uh, so it must have been his plan. Yeah. I mean, sometimes he sends them on missions too. Look what he did with uh, Job and um, evil spirits sent to, to uh, Saul. Jason says, I read primarily from the, from Septuagint. Interesting and very good. Uh, it's, it's, it's not common for people to read from the Septuagint, but, you know, it's, it's I, uh, yeah, I respect people who do. Jason says the New Testament writers quote from the Septuagint. Many times they did, yes. Uh, sometimes it seems to line up more with the Masoretic text, although we know the Masoretic text is after the fact, more or less. But yeah. Most Christians don't, they don't, when they read the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, so-called Old Testament, I hate to say that, but they never check it out, right? They never, they never actually say, "Hey, I want to let's just go over there and see what it, you know, just check it to see if it actually says that." And many times, it's it's different. Okay, let's read from the Psalms. Then I'll come back to the to the live chat. All right, let's see what we got here. Psalm. We'll start with Psalm one thirty four. Psalm one thirty four. Exhortation to the night watch to bless God, a song of ascents. O come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord throughout the nights. Lift up your hands toward the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Sion, the maker of heaven and earth. Okay, so that's 134. Pretty short. Um, let's see here. 134, 146. Trust in God, the Creator and Redeemer. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. Sing praise to my God while I live. Put no trust in princes. Now this is part one. Looks like there's a one over here, section one. Put no, no trust in princes, in children of Adam, powerless to save. 
who breathing his last returns to the earth. That day, that day, all his planning comes to nothing. Section two. Blessed the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, who gives bread to the hungry. Let me just stop here for a second, because notice it. Notice this word, faith, right? It's, it's more of a, it's more attached to like a New Testament co- concept. But what does it mean to have faith or keep faith? How did God keep faith? He had to do something to keep faith, right? It's not something that he just had. He just sat on his throne and thought something or believed something. It was something that he actually did. He was faithful. And that's what I believe what it means to have faith in God or faith in the Lord. To be faithful to him. Who keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, who gives bread to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves right the righteous. Notice it doesn't say the Lord loves the wicked. It says the Lord loves the righteous. There's a distinction here. The Lord protects the resident alien. You know, those who are just visiting, right? Because they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. The Lord protects the resident alien, comes to the aid of the orphan and the widow, but thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord shall reign forever. But your your God, Zion, through all generations. Hallelujah. Psalm 147. God's word restores Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Section 1. How good to sing praise to our God. How pleasant to give fitted, fitting praise. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem and gathers the dispersed of Israel, healing the brokenhearted and binding up their wounds. He numbers the stars and gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, vast in power, with wisdom beyond measure. The Lord gives aid to the poor, but casts the wicked to the ground. Notice how, notice how God treats the wicked. Notice how God treats the wicked. Section 2. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, with the lyre make make music to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, provides rain for the earth, makes grass sprout on the mountains, who gives animals their food and young ravens 
what they cry for. He takes no delight in the strength of horses, no pleasure in the runner's stride. In the footnote, runner's stride. Rather, the Lord takes pleasure in in those who fear him. Again, notice it doesn't say everybody. It says those who fear him. That's why I say when you when you read the scriptures, a lot of times you got to ask yourself a question. What does it not say? What does it say? And what does it not say? So many people love to interject their own doctrine in in you know in the scripture. But we got to ask, what does it say? What does it not say? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his mercy. Section three, glorify the Lord, Jerusalem, Zion, offer praise to our God, or to your God. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates, blessed your children within you. He brings peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends his command to, to earth His word runs swiftly. Thus he makes the snow like wool and spreads the frost like ash. He disperses hail like crumbs. Who can withstand his cold? Yet when when again he issues his command, it mounts them. (laughs) Global warming, it mounts them. And raises his winds and the waters flow. He proclaims his word to Jacob, his statutes and laws to Israel. He has not done this for any other nation. Of such laws they know nothing. Hallelujah. Psalm 148. All creation summoned to praise. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Section 1. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all you angels. Give praise, all you, all you His hosts. Hosts in the footnotes. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens, you waters above the heavens. Let them let them all praise the Lord's name, for he commanded and they were created. Assign them their station forever. Set an order that will never change. Section 2. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters in all the deeps of the sea. Lightning and hail, snow and thick clouds, storm wind that fulfills his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Animals wild and tame. Creatures that crawl and birds that fly. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all who govern on earth. Young men and women too, old and young alike. 
Let them all praise the Lord's name, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty above, above earth and heaven. He has lifted high his thorn, or excuse me, he has lifted high his horn, uh, excuse me, he has lifted high the horn of his people to the praise of all his faithful, the Israelites, the people near to him. Hallelujah. Psalm 149. Praise God with, with song and sword. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker. The people of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name in dance. Make music with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes delight in his people, honors the poor with victory. Let the faithful rejoice in their glory, cry out for joy on their couches with the praise of God in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands to bring retribution retribution on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings in shackles, their nobles in chains of iron, to execute the judgments decreed for them. Such is the glory of of all God's faithful. Hallelujah. Psalm 150. Final doxology. Hallelujah. Praise God in His holy sanctuary. Give praise in the mighty dome of heaven. Give praise for His mighty deeds. Praise Him for His great majesty. Give praise with blasts upon the horn. Praise him with harp and lyre. Give praise with tambourines and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with crashing cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals or sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, so there is Psalm 150 as well. And um, let me see if I can't find it online here. I will... One fifty one, I mean Psalm one fifty one, yeah. So I got it here on E Bible, Psalm one fifty one. The Psalm, this Psalm is a genuine one of David, though extra, composed when he fought in single combat with Goliath. Verse one, I was small among my brothers and youngest in my father's house. I tended my father's sheep. My hands formed a musical instrument, and my fingers tuned a lyre. Who shall tell my Lord? The Lord himself, he himself hears. 
He sent forth his angel and took me from my father's sheep, and he anointed me with his anointing oil. My brothers were handsome and tall, but the Lord didn't take pleasure in them. I went out to meet the Philistine, and he cursed me by his idols. But I drew his own sword and beheaded him, and removed reproach from the children of Israel. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, every Bible should have Psalm 151 in it, I believe. Every Everyone should. Brown Magic 42 says, what are you reading? Um, actually, if you see on TikTok, you got up here a green screen that says, uh, uh, go to Christopher Enoch YouTube channel. I am doing a live right now on YouTube. And so uh, on YouTube, I'm sharing, I, I shared my screen and I uh, everybody was reading uh, with me. So that's what I was reading. Psalm 151 on, on YouTube as well. Also on Podbean as well over there, as well as other platforms. Brick Train says, do you think that Adrazel and Satan are the same because Genesis, Jubilees, and Jasher say that Satan tempted Eve while Enoch says Adrazel tempted Eve? Do you, got a, do you have a um, reference there for the book of Enoch? Um, yeah, this is it here. Great Deception. Repent, follow Yeshua, keep Yahweh's or Yahuwah's commands. Amen. That's really what it's all about right there. Very interesting question, Kingdom Concepts. Uh, I've been thinking about this lightly uh, over the past several weeks. I haven't really dug into it, but Eucharist Pagan, do you have, could you, um, just out of curiosity, could you supply a scripture reference to the Eucharist. Let's just say, okay, so we know we know Paul talks about it, but in the Gospels, can you supply a, a, a scripture reference to that? Over on TikTok, says, uh, Brown says, okay, cool, thank you, Psalms is my favorite. Yeah, Psalms is so awesome. One of the things I like about Psalms, Psalms is just awesome all, all the way. I mean, everything is, but um, one of the things I like about Psalms is how it so contrasts the wicked from the righteous. It talks about the righteous so much. Apart from the apart from it speaking like first person, like how the Gospels present Yeshua is like it's like he is speaking first person from the Psalms, and that's a very amazing concept as well. And just. While while you're at it, Kingdom Concepts and also the Brick Train, um, looking for a reference from you as well. The Great Deception uh, says, yes, symbolic. Speaking of the Eucharist, not literal like Catholics teach. Uh, when you do this, remember me. Yeah. Um, you see, this is, you know, in the Gospel of John, we have him, um, Yeshua, teaching you know this is how you know this is you know unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh you will have no part of me that kind of thing and it's like everybody takes off everybody's done is they they can't take it anymore um and i can imagine you know what they'd be saying right like it says in the torah this is like this is strictly forbidden in the torah uh so um 
they took it they took it i'm not saying it is literal i'm just saying they it seems like they took it literal at least the ones who turned away from yeshua because of that saying of yeshua okay so brick train brings out this this uh see if i can zoom in a little bit uh it's not going to work like that okay so this is book of enoch chapter 9 verse 6 um thou seest what azazel so azazel uh, has done who has taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven which men were striving to learn and semjaza to whom you will you have given so it seems like azazel and semjaza are like almost like brothers or twins in the spirit in the spiritual realm um I so in this particular uh, quote that you gave me, Brick Train, it doesn't say that Azazel tempted Adam and Eve. It just says that he taught all unrighteousness on the earth, which I mean, you know, lots of people or lots of people, people as well as demons have done this as well. They have taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed eternal secrets. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't see this saying at all anything to do with Azazel tempting, like tempting um, Adam and Eve, unless you have another uh, reference that you are referring to. But this here doesn't. Uh, one could easily interpret Azazel as being one of um, the devil's higher, higher. It's almost like how we have. You know, on God's side, we have Michael and Gabriel and Raphael and Uriel. Uh, these kind of angels, the archangels, it's almost like on the side of the the devil's side or the evil side, we have Azazel and Semjaza. Uh, now, Mastema could, could be uh, Satan himself. Azazel, um, debatable. Seems like he is just like one of the arch evil angels, if you want to put it that way. Those those of you who know me, the Gospel of John is 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 something that's very can be sketchy in many places. Um, and considering all things considered, it has to be taken with a grain of salt. So the Gospel of John, verse six here, I got. Uh, then Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the this yeah this is this is what I was referring to earlier. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in you. Now again, the Gospel of John it is so um, it's so far removed from the fact, and like many people question even its, its authorship as being you know John the disciple as opposed to some other John and even some unknown John. Uh, so. You notice how different the Gospel of John is compared to the other Gospels. The Gospel of John presents Jesus in a much different, different, very different light than any of the other Gospels do. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke seems to present Yeshua as being more of a rabbi, human, whereas the Gospel of John presents Yeshua as being a lot more than that. And a lot of these sayings like this. So if, you know, my question is like, and, and this is the same way with every other thing in the gospel of John that you don't have in the synoptics. And that is, 
if this is so important, if this is so uh, so uh, vital to know or to practice, why didn't why didn't Matthew think about it? And if he thought about it, why didn't he, why didn't he write this down? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, why didn't they record this saying of Yeshua? Yeah, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my my blood is drink indeed. Whoever he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Yeah. So, and if you like, um, yeah, if you look just right after this passage, this is when lots of people left him. Right. Yeshua had lots of followers at one point in time. Actually, up until this point, according to the Gospel of John, I got to kind of put that disclaimer in there. According to the Gospel of John, uh, he had lots of followers. Uh, at one point in time, he had like 70 some odd uh, disciples that he sent out. Uh, and again, according to the Gospel of John. And, you know, he went, he had 5,000 people following him and he fed the 5,000. Then he said some, then he started teaching stuff like this and everybody leaves him. And if he did, if if indeed he did say this kind of stuff, then I would I would understand why everybody would leave him. Pretty much everybody, almost everybody. Uh, now the Lord's Supper. Um, take eat. This is my body. Now I do believe this is this is symbolic. I don't think that Jesus actually meant that this is literally my body that he was actually breaking there. Um, then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink drink from it, all of you, uh, for this is the blood of the new covenant. Uh, like, for example, in the in the in the gospel of Luke. So if you let's say, for example, you go to something like Luke 22, 17. Okay, and then go to something like a newer. No, it doesn't have that footnote. And Ivy. I think this one has a footnote in it. Yeah, it does right here. Footnote. So Luke, for example, it says, um, like he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I have to make this smaller to see it. Some manuscripts do not have given for you or poured out for you. So some people argue that this whole thing poured out for you. In other words, as a, like his blood was shed, poured out for you, that that was added later. That he really only only just said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, period. And this footnote, it reflects that. Okay, so um, the other manuscripts, or not manuscripts, the other references, Matthew 26, 26. Okay, so this has this has that kind of, this, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, Many for the trans for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, in Mark, Mark 14, 22. Yeah, this is the blood. This is blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Yeah, so um very interesting topic and very interesting conversation. Very interesting. Um I would say the only thing I can say right now is you know, I I heard many you know uh, the Catholics who uh, believe that it is literal, uh, like physical, like the like the the host or the bread is really the blood, the body of Jesus, and and 
I'm laughing because I remember people. I, I heard some guys like you know I go to I go to church and they put the the, the host on my on my tongue and it's like you, you know you don't want to bite Jesus right you don't want to bite Jesus just don't bite the host don't bite don't bite the bread you you you'll be biting Jesus um, no I don't think that I don't think that that was what Jesus was talking about when he said this is the blood this is my blood basically it's symbolic same with the the bread in his body apart from that the only thing that really stands out to me is that footnote in luke saying that 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 some manuscripts does not have that poured out for you in it which is interesting um as far as paul is concerned well paul is paul i'll take the gospels over paul any day um and John as well, the Gospel of John, God take it with a grain of salt. So that's really all I can say about that King, kingdom concepts. Kingdom concepts asks the question, it clearly says, if you drink my blood, you will live. What a, what Jew would say that? Well, that's it. That's the reason why they would leave, you know, if they actually, you know, if, if Jesus actually said what he said in uh the gospel of john that's the reason why they all just said we're out of here that's it we're done we're done now he wants to now he wants us to eat him like cannibalism great deception i do i do uh agree with you on this uh i believe they were eating passover again in the gospel of john they weren't eating passover but the gospel of john is the gospel of john too all right the gospel of john is so different on many of the other and lots it's very different so i i i take the synoptic gospels over the gospel of john whenever there's a, a difference like that so in the synoptic gospels they are eating passover which i believe that's what it was it was a passover meal and it's about remembering yes i think that the the whole thing about the eucharist if applied properly i think what he was saying is to to eat his flesh, so to speak, and to drink his blood, so to speak, was to get the full impact and value from his death. Uh, and this is what I was I say a lot is that he uh, the whole idea is for us to identify with that, right? So that we die to ourselves and we die to the sinful, to our own sinful lifestyles. And, and, uh, and it's that particular, um, the faith in his death in that way to identify with him. I, I was crucified with him. I rose with him. It's that that gives us the, it's the catalyst to, um, enable us when we need that extra, when we need that extra turbo boost to repent, to die, to, uh, to sin and to rise anew uh, in obedience to the Father. And I think that's really what it's all about. Um, saying, you know, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, basically just um, get getting all, like getting, uh, understanding it, basically. It's like how um, you can say, I'm like, I'm consuming this book. Right? You're not really, you're not literally eating it, um, but you are actually, you are getting every, you are, you're getting everything you can out of it.
And so I think that's what really he was talking about is, is getting everything you can out of his death and resurrection to enable you to do what needs to be done, enable to enable you to obey and follow him. And you see, like Yeshua didn't really say a whole lot about it in the gospels at all, neither even after like after the fact in the book of Revelation, like did he say anything about his, you know, about the Eucharist or about his blood being shed or anything like that in Revelation? Seriously. Like he, he spoke, he spoke to his church extensively in the in the first three chapters, two and three, anyway. You know what? It it does actually in in the book of Revelation does talk about. Um, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, also Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And with your blood you purchased for God person, persons from every tribe and language and people. So yes, it, it does. Yes. Um, although he didn't, in the Gospels, he didn't really say a whole lot about it other than at the, uh, you know, the, the Last Supper, so to speak. He didn't really talk about it very much. Like when people come to at people come to him and ask him about salvation and stuff, he didn't really say it. He just said, follow the commands. He didn't say, Well, I'm about to die for you and in, you know, in a few months, you know, you got to believe in my death and all that kind of stuff. He didn't really say that. So Signe says, Communion heals. Well, first of all, he says, Is this brother teaching anything? Well, we just got done reading uh, over an hour's worth of uh, scripture, and we're just going through some miscellaneous questions. Okay, so identified herself as Cindy. Okay, so Cindy says communion heals spiritually, emotionally, physically. I mean, it depends on how you apply it, right? Because, I mean, you got people, here I am, I'm going to be quoting Paul again, but you got people, let's say, in Paul's day, where he said many, I'm just let me just pull it up here. Yeah, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Third, uh, chapter 11, verse 30 is what I'm thinking about, where it says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat. Actually, this is verse 28. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. And I believe this word unworthily means without getting the full value of it, without getting, without getting everything that it really means out of it. Like if you eat and drink, of that, of his death, so to speak, without without getting its full value, uh, or unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to yourself, not discerning the the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and sleep, meaning death. So what Paul says here is that many people have have even been cursed to death because of the eucharist or because of the of communion if you want to put it that way so it depends on how you i mean it depends on how you interpret it depends on how you apply it how you understand it so cindy says do you read baruch dear brother esdras uh i'll definitely be a fan actually one of my most most uh popular videos on youtube is uh, Second Esdras, I the Second Esdras audiobook. Actually, I have a few videos on Second Esdras. Um, let me just see if I can pull up the audiobook because I did it. 
I did a few different readings of it. I, I took Second Esdras and I read through the whole entire book as an audio book and I posted it on YouTube. And that's one of my most popular videos on YouTube. I also read through Second Esdras like how we, we usually do nightly. I do it piece by piece and discuss as I go. Refer you to the right one. Yeah. So if you go to... Okay, so my videos, so this is my channel on YouTube there. For, for those of you who are on YouTube, if you're on TikTok, I'm, I'm sharing my screen right now on YouTube live. Uh, so this is my channel page, and I just went into, and I did a search for Second Esdras. And so this is the, this is the Second Esdras, the book I did, um, the one with the, uh, uh, it looks like this, right? That's the audiobook um, that I did. Plus, I did lots of other readings on Second Entrance as well. Baruch, I haven't got around to it, but I would love to do that. I would love to do Baruch, and Lord willing, I will. And um, I'll have to look at the chronology of Baruch because we are doing nightly, daily um, chronological reading of the Bible. And so once we get to Baruch, Lord willing, I will read Baruch. Yeah, Jason says Second Baruch and Second Esdras are my favorites. And yes, I would love to get into all of those re readings, even other readings such as uh, some of the other ones, like um, ones we actually, I have read through um, some of the Legends of the Jews as well, the Book of Jasher, all that kind of stuff. I'd like to get into stuff like... Um, I actually I did go through the whole book of Tobit as well. The stuff like the Assumption of Moses or the Ascension of Isaiah as well. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get into all that stuff. Everything. Oh, Jason says, I listened to your second Ezra since a week. Okay. Well, well, awesome. Jubilees is awesome too. Yes. We've read... How much uh, Jubilees? We've read a fair amount of Jubilees as well. Jasher, I... Yeah, I've read read some of Jasher uh, on here. Actually, I've read the all of all, if not most of these books that we're talking about, I've read myself, um, but not so much on online. But we have read some of Jasher online as well. Cindy says you'd be one of a kind, great Sadika, brother Enoch. Thank you very much, Cindy. I appreciate that. Testament of the of the twelve patriarchs. I actually read the whole thing. We went through all of that uh, a couple months ago. All of that. Went through everything. Okay, so um, I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. Tomorrow night, same time, same place. We're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to read again, continue reading chronologically. And as we get to these very interesting books, we will, Lord willing, we will read those as well. Chronologically. So, yes. Yes, yes. Um, I know it's a little bit of a, it's almost two hours for us and it's a little bit of an early night, but uh, we'll just wrap it up early tonight. If you find anything that we're talking about interesting, please make sure you're subscribed or following because by the grace of God, um, and I'm grateful to God that we're able to do this every single day, right? So we've been doing this every single day, almost every day with the exception of just a couple of days from when was it September we started doing this um so make sure you're subscribed and following 
and I'll see you again tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening, same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern, we, we will start. Excuse me. And for those of you on TikTok, I am streaming live on YouTube as well. And in fact, YouTube is the primary platform. Uh, TikTok um, is kind of like, I got I got my TikTok right here and I got my YouTube over here. So when you see me looking up, I'm talking to my YouTube audience. So uh, yeah, tomorrow we'll, we'll, we'll be back uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. We do it every single evening by the grace of God from Sunday through Friday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern every night and Saturday at 2 p.m. Okay, so if you find this interesting, make sure you come back tomorrow. All right, guys. Um, One John says, thank you. Great teaching. Thank you very much, One John. I appreciate you. Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much blessings and shalom to you all. Thank you very much and blessings multiplied back to you, brother. Tammy says, thank you. Have a great night. You too, Tammy. Blessings, blessings. All right. Thank you very much for these blessings. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Jason, you said you would love to chat with me about 2 Baruch chapters 48 through 52. Well, hey, um, actually, like we're on Solomon right now. We're just kind of on the tail end of Solomon's life, but we're going through this chronologically. Once we get to Baruch, we'll go through the whole entire book. 2 Baruch, we'll go through the whole entire book word for word, and we got lots to discuss. Brick Train says, bye, everyone. Thank you very much. And Cindy says, love to all. Much love multiply back to you as well, Cindy. Thank you very much. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll pick up where we left off. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate all of you guys. Blessings multiplied to you guys. As always, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.